Welcome to Philanthropy Today, where we share informative and inspirational stories on ways individuals impact the quality of life in our communities. Each week, you'll hear stories on how members of our community make a difference through philanthropy. Our goal is to inspire giving by educating listeners on ways to give and how to connect with charitable causes. My name is Dave Lewis. I'm your host of Philanthropy Today. Thank you for joining the show. The CFA Trustee Volunteer Awardee from the 2023 CFAs is Tom Phillips. Welcome to Philanthropy Today, sir. Good morning, Dave. It's great to be here. So your name is mentioned up there. I know. And that came as a total surprise. I had no idea. No indication whatsoever. None. None. My wife was in on it. Uh, Gary Fees had called and told Debbie, now you make sure Tom's going to be there. And I I had already committed because I'm now on the board of directors for uh, Good Shepherd Home. And so I I said I would be there. I paid and went. And so, but Gary was making sure you make sure Tom's there and make sure you're there. So it was just a total surprise. What was your reaction? You know, once you get over the surprise and you're kind of walking up to receive the award, it's overwhelming in some respect. Because as you look around the room, you see executive directors of these nonprofits that, you know, they've, they dedicate their lives to helping our community. And to, for them to, in some respect, acknowledge what I have given back is overwhelming. And then also, I'm standing up there and kind of the lights are kind of glaring in your face, but you recognize a few people in the community and I call them silent leaders. They're people that serve on board of directors for these nonprofits and, and they don't look for fame or glory or recognition. They just are doing great work for all these nonprofits that really just enhance the quality of our life and our community. So, you know, you're, you're surprised, you're kind of awestruck, and you're also humbled. That, that you're getting a recognition for from the community of all these great people that have done so much to make our quality better and that you're being recognized. It's, it's, it's awesome. Well, that silent leadership that you were talking about was pretty vocal when your name was announced. Uh, There's a, there a lot of applause and a lot of love for Tom Phillips there. Well, thank you for saying that. You know, honestly, you're, you're just, I was just kind of overwhelmed. I, I mean, I'm aware of myself walking up there and thinking, oh, oh gosh, I got to say something and trying to process all of it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's just it's just a humbling honor to be recognized for such a great uh, award that because there's just so many groups in our community that do great things and a lot of people wrapped around each organization. So just it makes you feel proud. That's good to know, Tom Phillips. Yes. You've had quite a story in Manhattan, you know, as a leader, mm-hmm. city commission, mayor, state legislature. But let's go back even further. Okay. Tell us, uh, tell us about your upbringing and, and what brought you to Manhattan and, and sure. things that you've done outside the political world. Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, I grew up in Fort Scott, Kansas. And uh, looking back, it was a great life. And at the time, you know, you don't have very uh, a wide perspective. My, my focus was my neighborhood, my community. It was safe, secure. And I give a lot of credit to my parents. They they. They instilled in me core values that I hold dearly today, honesty, integrity, hard work. All of those have paid off to define me as, I hope, as a person and as a leader. Uh, so so my life in Fort Scott was great. Uh, at the time, um, both my parents worked. They instilled in me kind of the sense of, of giving back. Um, 
were truly what I would think of as a middle class family. And so, uh, you know, I, I was aware of, of my parents' tie to the church. I knew the importance of that. Um, but I don't think there, you know, in, in looking back, there were not a whole lot of nonprofit organizations in our community like like there are in today's world. Um, I can remember the community chess, which was the forerunner to United Way, and seeing the the thermometer about raising mm-hmm. money and, and asking my dad about what all that was. So, they, you know, I think they instilled in me a, a sense of, you know, giving back. I mean, that that's that's kind of been my underlying motivation, all of this. And particularly when, you know, Debbie entered my life and, and we uh, we lived in Kansas City for 10 years, had two children. We came back to, to Manhattan. Uh, I altered my career path and we came back here. And, and one of the earlier things that I started getting involved with was the United Way. And, and what, I think one of the things that really had an impact on me was we had we were responsible for giving out money to groups, uh, nonprofits in the in the community, and we had team members that would go out and kind of evaluate what was happening with all these nonprofits. And it really was an eye opening experience for me. Um, I learned a lot about these organizations and how people, honestly, some people, a lot of people struggle in our community. Uh, and, and in some respects, I don't know the, that we we know all of that uh, as members of our community because we're busy with our lives and our careers. But but there are a lot of people that struggle, uh, and and so that was a real eye opening experience for me. And you know, obviously, Debbie and I have been fortunate in our community. We financially we've done well. We we live a life beyond our dreams as growing up, and so it's, it's that sense of giving back. And um, and we have the resources that allows us. And quite frankly, I have the time um, to give back. And and that's I guess what motivates me the most. I know that. Well, you know, we talk about your wife, and you know, she's a physician here in Correct. town, and a very highly respected physician because she's just got the greatest personality Absolutely. in the world. And, and, you know, when I say that you just beam broadly, yeah. that smile, yeah. this is really just, I mean, you have a wonderful partnership there between the two of you that has such a great sense of community. And, and does that also kind of reflect on on her upbringing as well? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that one reason that's why our marriage is so successful is because we have similar backgrounds, similar value systems, uh, upbringing, and, you know, we obviously disagree on things. Everybody does, but I think the core values uh, we we share a hundred percent, and so that's allowed us to do um, to be successful as a couple, which then allows us to you know give back to the community, uh, and 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 we allow each other to grow. I mean, um, our our youngest son has a new fiance and she was asking me about, you know, things to think about uh, being married to a doctor because our son's a doctor and she's marrying into the medical community. And I said, you know, one of the things is you've got to let each other grow individually um, and you've got to define your own sense of purpose, your own goals as an individual. You don't want to become the wife of a doctor. Uh, you, you want to become whoever Allison wants to become. And I think that describes Debbie and I. I mean, although I'm married to a doctor, I had my own life to live and, and I wanted to accomplish what was important to me. Um, and, and so I, I shared that, that advice. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've been successful is we, we are a couple, but we allow each other to do our own individual 
pursuits of what makes us happy and, and fulfilled individually. What inspired you to run for office? Hmm, boy, that's a good question. I only ask good questions, Tom. <laughs> I would say, you know, it's a, it's a little sensitive. Um, I, I was a little just frustrated with what was happening in City Hall. Uh, and I remember running on a platform of, I didn't want to micromanage City Hall. We, we hire a city manager to guide and, and manage City Hall. I, I always thought that elected officials were to look forward, to look at to the future. Now, you hold the city manager and administration accountable, uh, but there needs to be someone looking further ahead. What are our greatest opportunities? What are our threats that we need to tackle? And and I just didn't think that, that some of those things were being pursued to my satisfaction, and I thought I could do a better job. So I threw my hat in the ring, and lo and behold, I got elected. When you were in office, you had a very challenging situation with downtown redevelopment. Yes. And you stood your ground on that. It may have cost you an election, but you look back and think about how this community and this whole downtown redevelopment has progressed. Yes. You got to reflect back and think, I did the right thing. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I knew looking back on that, it was controversial. You know, mm-hmm. the internet and, and was, was really prominent. And I finally had to, I, I can remember going back onto the micro, um, Manhattan Mercury. They had kind of a blog going on there and, and there was a lot of negativity there. And, and I just kind of had to tune myself out, but. Uh, and, and there was petitions. There was the, the community was really kind of amped up, and I was in the middle of it. But I, I knew I had to make the right decision. It's kind of a leadership test for me. Um, I, I could have probably said no uh, and made some people happy, but in my in my mind, in my heart, I knew it wasn't the right thing. It was, I had to think about what was best for not the community, not only today, but for again the future. And how we were going to, I think, continue to grow. Um, so, so yeah, I knew it was controversial. I knew I was probably going to lose my seat uh, on the city commission, but I also knew it was bigger than me. It, it had to be done, and and I just was willing to pay the political consequences. When you look around and see what has transpired in downtown Manhattan, is there something that really stands out to you that you may be most fond of or proud of? Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. Um, if you if you go um, behind, oh, I can't remember the name of the stores, but there there's a there is a an apartment building mm-hmm. completely surrounded by by the development that old limestone building that no not the historic limestone uh, and a kind of a like 1960s 1970s oh, yes. uh, mm-hmm. apartment structure uh, and, and at the time there were a lot of uh, uh, intellectually disabled or handicapped people living in that structure and they were they were coming before the city commission saying uh, do not tear our building down we we live here and and I can remember one client could was able to walk to McDonald's and he says if you tear this building down uh I'll lose my job and it'll have a great impact on my life. And there were other uh, inhabitants living in this structure who were who in that circumstances. And and I can't remember, you know, you, as a commissioner, you can't really call each other and talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I my sense was that there was there was great sympathy on on all of the city commissioners that we had to figure this one out. And we pretty much told the developer, Dial, you figure out a way 
around this, design this so this building has to stay so we don't have to relocate these individuals. And that's a story that probably will be lost in history and people will drive by there and wonder what in the heck is that doing there? But there's a reason and that's the reason why it's there. That's a good reason. Absolutely. So, and I have no idea what happened to those individuals. Uh, ho- hopefully they're still there and they're able to be successful members of our community and, and work and thrive. And, and, and they have happy. more options there in that area now Absol- for, absolutely. for food and, you know, a grocery store yeah, and yeah. just about everything they need is right yeah. right within walking yeah. distance. And that's a detail. You know, looking back at the big picture, it, 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 it I knew, you know, talk, we were talking about Debbie earlier, and, and uh, we, I would take her down there, and this was before any construction was happening. It was all ideas on paper, and and I can remember I wanted to walk from basically where Hy-Vee is located today. I wanted to see how long it would take to walk to Points Avenue, and and I was explaining to Debbie that all this was going to come down, and all this was going to go up, and and uh, you know her mind works differently than mine. She just couldn't visualize it, but I could visualize it in my mind. And I really wanted to understand, could people walk and would they walk in terms of, and I think it's like a 10 minute walk, which for some people is maybe insurmountable, but for most people, that's not that big of a deal. For someone that has challenges. It is a big deal. That is a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So. You then ran for state office. I did. What was that all about? Well, I, after I lost my re-election on city commission because of the downtown redevelopment vote, and there, there may have been other votes, but I think that was principally the, the reason why people chose not to put me back on the city commission. And, and, and so I was going back and starting my consulting work, and then my predecessor had resigned. Uh, Susan Mosier, Dr. Mosier, had resigned her seat for the 67th district and was going to begin working for the Brownback administration. And I had gotten some phone calls by people here locally. I had gotten some people, phone calls from other legislators in Topeka saying, you know, you really ought to consider this. And it, it honestly wasn't on my radar screen. I wasn't thinking about it. I, I'd kind of moved on from, from the political arena. Um, but then and I tried to analyze it. It's my nature to try to analyze and think through everything. And I finally realized I, this is one of the decisions I can't work my way through. It's, I, I've just got to have faith and confidence that it will work out. And, and, and it did. And so um, I, I just said, yes, I will run. And, uh, and it, it worked out well. I mean, for example, I had, I had after I, um, the downtown redevelopment had, had been built and people were able to drive around it and see it and all. I had I had actually had people, members of our community and business owners in downtown, who called and said, "Tom, you were right, and and we were wrong." And that was a that was a big that's a comeuppance for them. It is well, it it it, it sh- for me it showed um, how strong they were to to admit that they were wrong. And that's not easy for people to do. Um, and so I, I kind of that was a kind of a clue to me that that members of the community were starting to realize that this was not the wrong decision uh, to go on downtown redevelopment. And I think it helped me on my my efforts to get reelected that people started realizing, well, maybe his judgment is not as bad as we thought it was during our downtown redevelopment effort. So, so in your time. In Topeka as a, as a legislator representing mm-hmm. the 67th district, yeah. what takeaways did you have? Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, that was a very uh, 
uh, challenging time uh, because of that. That was the time that Governor Brownback signed the tax cut plan, kind of and kind of based on supply side economics. That if you cut taxes low enough, you'll create enough job growth and create more revenue for the state, and all will be well. Well, it didn't work out that way, and and we our revenue just tapered off significantly, and. We were shifting. We, the Brownback administration, was borrowing money from the KDOT. Uh, we were borrowing money from the pooled investment. We, we were doing every little thing we could to kind of cover up uh, and make ends meet. And and I knew it was wrong. And I knew we had to raise taxes. And I can remember at a legislative forum in, at, at Sunset Zoo, and it wasn't too too long after the tax cut plan had been authorized. And we're sitting there, you know, as we do, all, all the legislators. And, and I had this little voice in the back of my head saying, Tom, don't say this. This is not what politicians do. But I thought, no, this is the right thing. And I said, you know, we're going to have to raise your taxes at some point because what we're doing right now is not sustainable. And and I know you don't want to hear that. I'm talking to the members of the audience. You don't want to hear that. But, but I'm telling you that the day's going to come when we're going to have to. And, and, you know, some people understood it. Some people were not happy with me. But I was telling people what what I thought was the truth in terms of, of, of the fact that revenue was down. There really wasn't a will or a way to, to cut expenses significantly to make up for the lost revenue. It's just, it wasn't rocket science. It was just not a sustainable path. And, and it, it it goes back to what I said earlier. You had to need to be honest. You had to have integrity. And even though it's not politically popular, uh, you have a responsibility to step up and tell people the truth. How did your work in an elected capacity transition into your philanthropic philosophy? You know, um, as as a city commissioner and as a legislator, you're you're exposed. Um, well, let me use an example. Big Lakes Development Center. I mean, I knew what Big Lakes Development Center was, but I didn't have a, a working knowledge. And Lori Feldkamp, the executive director, did a good job of bringing in legislators and educating us uh, because they rely on state revenue. And um, the, uh, the clients out there uh, are truly, I think, a, a test for us as a community. These these are some of the the people that. Are, are born with intellectual challenges, physical challenges. It's a test for us as able-bodied individuals. How, how are we going to treat those people in our community? And um, and I, and Lori was doing a capital fundraising for a new structure to help house clients. And and Debbie and I said, you know, we got to give. I mean, it's it, we we know the need. We have the resources. Let's give them some money so that they can complete the building that they they're trying to do. Uh, so so that kind of helps because you you learn you see firsthand as when you're in a leadership position the challenges that people face and and that and the other thing that that um, has always been important to me. I was on the boys and girls club. Um, Board executive director and 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 served on their board of directors for some time, and I've always and when I was a legislator, I I was able to participate in early childhood development and learned spent a year uh, actually traveling the country on seminars, learning about brain architecture and early childhood development, and and in those first seven years, parents have the biggest impact on on a child's. Um, 
development and, and even their executive function, uh, how, how a child learns de de uh, delayed gratification, all these things are happening at a very, very early age. And, and uh, so we, I've always just felt like that's a place where you can have a high impact as, as through donations is through youth. Um, you know, someone can, can change a child's trajectory in life if they just listen. And, and they, they, and I think the Boys and Girls Club does a great example. Big brothers, big sisters. And I, I don't know. I like to think that at some point, as children go through all these programs and, and, and are given the resources and, and taught skills and helped through schools, that their life will be impacted. I don't look for any reward, but, but our money can make a difference. Your reward is in a different way. I mean, it's not, I mean, obviously, you know, you you received a nice award, you know, with yeah. the CFAs, and I know that that's meaningful to you because what our listeners here on Philanthropy Today can't see is that you're a little wet in the I eyes am. right now thinking about this. And so I can see, you know, the passion that you have for, for the community and for people. And, you know, you, you now serve as a trustee yes. with the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation, and you have an opportunity to, to do more. Right. Right. Let's talk a bit about your experiences with GMCF as a trustee. Yes. Um, well, I probably, probably shouldn't admit this. I, I've been a trustee for probably 10 years, but I, nine of those years I was in, in the legislature, and it was almost impossible for me to make the meetings. And I, I remember sitting down with Vern and Vern saying, Vern, I'm, I don't feel like I'm contributing. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a member in name only. That's kind of how I felt. Mm -hmm. I, I said, that's not how I operate. And Vern said, no, um, you need, you need to stick with it because you, you've got contacts. People respect you, Tom, stay with us. I said, okay. So when I, when I decided to leave the legislature, it was an opportunity for me to step back in and, and become much more active. And, um, and I believe in, in what Vern's vision is and what he's been doing. Um, I don't want to talk politics here, but when, when I think about the future, communities that are going to be successful, there's a lot of reasons why. But one of the reasons, I think, is um, communities that can figure out how to build partnerships with with organizations like the Greater Manhattan Foundation and, and, and local government and private business and, and begin to tackle problems, whether that's our challenges with daycare, housing affordability, or, um, you know, helping with children or, or senior citizens, whatever the issue may be. Communities that can figure out how to build these partnerships between government, private business, and philanthropy are going to be successful. And the reason I say that is because I think, you know, looking again, to the future, our, our, our federal government, we, we ask a lot and, and we can't continue to just tax and tax and ask people to give money. We're, we're going to have to find out other, find other means and mechanisms to finance the challenges that our local communities face. And Manhattan has a great infrastructure in place. When I think about all of the nonprofits that are, exist in our community and the need that they're, they're fulfilling, um, we, we should be proud uh, as a community. Uh, and I said earlier, there's a great need, but we're, we are doing our best to tackle those needs. Are, are we solving all of them? Probably not. The need is great and probably growing, but we're, we're doing everything we can. And the Greater Community Foundation is raising money to make a difference. So I, I'm proud to just be part of, uh, as a trustee, to be involved in the conversation and, and help maybe give a little advice and guidance and leadership. 
Thank you for joining us for Philanthropy Today, an inside look at the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. You can always learn more about the GMCF at our website, mcfks.org. We also invite you to subscribe to Philanthropy Today on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dave Lewis. I'm proud to host Philanthropy Today. It's hosted and produced in the Ad Astrocast Studios in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Thank you.